The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Today we begin the fifth week of Epiphany, the season of the liturgical calendar where we reflect upon Christ becoming a light to enlighten the Gentiles. In the first four weeks, we have looked at the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. John, the greatest prophet, um, was, a, was a forerunner for Christ as he made way for him and preached a message of repentance. What we see there is a great continuity between the prophets and the law and Jesus' life and his message, as he was born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we may be adopted to sonship with Christ. It is during this season of Epiphany that we remember that God, the creator of heaven and earth, has made a covenant with Abraham and the people of Israel, who are the firstborn of God, for the purpose of redeeming them and through them the Gentiles in all of creation. Today we reflect on the presentation of Christ and how it reveals the surprising action of God as he redeems Israel and creation by Jesus of Nazareth, the firstborn son of the poverty-stricken Mary and Joseph, and how those who have faith in Christ are supposed to respond to this redemption. Our gospel passage begins with the author Luke, stating that the Holy Family is heading to the temple to fulfill the requirements for the purification rites that were required by the laws of Moses. The rite that Luke is referring to is at minimum complicated. Scholars dispute to this day what rite is exactly being performed here. 
what we can be sure of is that one, Mary goes to the temple for a purification rite because she has just given birth. Two, to offer up a ransom for the firstborn son, which is in relation to what happens in Egypt when the firstborn sons are redeemed or saved from the plague. And three, it is probable that Mary and Joseph went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, just like Hannah dedicated Samuel. While there are at least three reasons why the Holy Family went to the temple, what is most striking is the strands of Israel's history, like the Exodus and the prophet Samuel, and Israel's law being drawn in together and being embodied by Jesus. The narrative strand that may be the most important here is the relationship between God himself and those who are called the firstborn son. First, there is Israel itself, who is referred to as God's firstborn son and his covenant people in the Exodus narrative. And secondly, the actual firstborn sons of the people of Israel, who were saved by the blood of a perfect lamb during the plagues of Egypt. And lastly, Jesus of Nazareth, who Paul describes in the first chapter of Colossians as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The manifold use of the figure of the firstborn son in scripture is wonderfully rich and complex. And while there are uses that are distinct, and, but they all relate to one thing, which is the redemption of Israel. Jesus, as the firstborn son of creation, represents all of Israel. And like the lamb who was slaughtered for the sake of redemption of Israel from the slavery in Egypt, he is now the lamb who will be slaughtered for the sake of freeing Israel and all of creation from the slavery of sin. Now, not only is the crucified Christ the firstborn of all creation, the lamb that is sacrificed, but he's also the great high priest, as our New Testament passage indicates, as he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This means that the second person of the Trinity, the firstborn son of God, has taken on flesh to be both priest and lamb. As he is not sacrificed by someone else, but gives up his own life to destroy the bonds of slavery to sin. The prophets and apostles are clear here. The redemption of Israel and creation comes through the cross and resurrection. The question is, how are we to respond to this way of hope, the hope of Israel and how it's been fulfilled? To answer this, we must enter back into Luke's gospel, where the holy family is intercepted by Simeon and Anna in the temple and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Luke describes Simeon and Anna as righteous people and ones who are yearning for the fulfillment and consolation of Israel. The waiting of Simeon and Anna is manifested in their life of prayer, and they can be understood as representing the figure of Israel itself in praying our psalm for today, Psalm 84. As a scriptural figure of Israel, they longed and yearned for the heavenly rewards promised, and they pondered the future joy of Israel. Finally, what they both have been desiring, yearning, and longing for has come in the child of the Virgin Mary. And by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of Simeon and Anna were opened, and they saw what they most deeply desired, the salvation of Israel. Immediately when their eyes are opened, Simeon and Anna respond in two ways, in adoration and proclamation. 
And this is precisely how we should respond when our eyes are open to see the glory of God. But, and I think I can speak for most of us, we don't really know how to do this very well. Our churches are often split between liturgical churches or missional churches. Either we are hyper-focused upon our ritual practices or only focused about preaching the gospel and being out in the streets. And I think we can be pretty clear here that Simeon and Anna's response makes that not an option for us. Uh, we have to be a people that adore Christ and proclaim Christ and his redemptive act together. So the question is, how do we faithfully respond to Christ in adoration and proclamation today? Well, as Christ has told us when he was sharing a Passover meal with his disciples, we are to remember him in the Eucharist. And like Paul says to the letter, uh, the, in the letter to the Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bifurcation of the split of proclamation and adoration in today's church simply doesn't work for what Paul gives us. We are partakers of the Eucharist and itself is an act of adoration and proclamation of the truth of the gospel. And as what Father Shmaimon said, speaking of the entire liturgy itself, which is a place where adoration and proclamation become one, he says, the word is as sacramental as the sacrament is evangelical. The sacrament is a manifestation of the word, and unless the false dichotomy between word and sacrament is overcome, the true meaning of both word and sacrament, and especially the true meaning of Christian sacramentalism, cannot be grasped in all their wonderful implications. The proclamation of the word is a sacramental act par excellence because it is a transforming act. It transforms the human words of the gospel into the word of God and the manifestation of the kingdom, and it transforms the person who hears the word into a receptacle of the word and temple of the spirit. What Father Shmemon is saying is that by our participation in the communal worship of God, we are transformed. Our hearts, our minds, and our desires are made new by the Holy Spirit. And this transformation of our lives is what proclaims the truth of the gospel. This proclamation of the gospel cannot be separated from the adoration of Christ and the breaking of bread, as the way Christ is made known to us is through the Eucharist. As even the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who had not known him before, or had known him before he died, did not know who the risen Christ was until he was at the table with them, and he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and only then were their eyes opened. So, for us to be like Simeon and Anna and the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who desire the salvation of the world, we must respond to the crucified Christ by adoration and proclamation, which begins and ends at Christ's table, where he offers himself up to us and we offer ourselves to him. Again, as Father Shmemon said, the Eucharist is the entrance of the church into the joy of its Lord, and to enter into that joy so as to be a witness to it in the world it is indeed the very calling of the church, its essential liturgy, the sacrament by which it becomes what it is. So let us become what we are called by Christ to be, those who lay aside what has been put to death by the cross and live out what has been made alive by the resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.